0: Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Broadcasting in Black and White, brought to you by Bib Media. As always, I am Joe Massiri. And just in case you're listening to this in the future, we're referring to New Year's 2016, the date this podcast was originally published. But it doesn't matter when you're listening to it, because we've got some great advice coming up from actor Brian Wiles. You might know him from TNT's Public Morals. On that show, he plays Jimmy Shay. the show... Public Morals, created by Ed Burns, of course. And Brian also plays Lafayette on AMC's Turn, which has a wildly popular following on social media, which we get into a bit in the podcast. Now, Brian and I went to high school together at Regis High School, and in this podcast, he kind of opened up and shared some things that I didn't even realize, like the fact that he still gets nervous when he goes on auditions right down to the sweaty hands. In the podcast, he talks a little bit about how he deals with that now on auditions. He also talked about the struggle to overcome his desire to be a highbrow or classical actor with social media now playing a role in the promotion of his shows. And we really got into some interesting topics throughout. I think Brian has a real big future with social media because he's used it real well and we talk about some of the ways he's used it throughout the podcast of course we will be joined as always by my co-host and partner Kenton Young and without any further ado I want to thank you for listening to Broadcasting in Black and White thanks guys So, listen, i got to ask you, we're just going to jump right in here. You know, wh- where were you today? What's a typical day in the life of Brian Wiles these days?
1: Uh, you know, it's a good question. i got a lot of free time um, these days, especially. Most of my days, I you know, I wake up and uh, meditate, typical actor thing. And then it's a lot of figuring out how to uh, use my day in a productive way. So I'll read a lot. Uh, I usually go to the gym, get a lot of coffee, walk around the neighborhood when it's nice out. And then just start hitting up my friends and trying to find people to hang out with uh, as the day rolls on.
0: How's that work as an actor when uh, other stiffs are working nine to five?
1: It's tricky, although, you know, you make actor friends who have a similar schedule. Um, and then, you know, once five o'clock rolls around, you can get drinks. <laughs> I get work at
0: stiffs. That's a good thing. So let's start, I guess, let's just talk about the meditation there. How long have you been uh, meditating for, and what kind of uh, meditation do you do right now?
1: Uh, I started about six months ago. I do something called Transcendental Meditation, which sounds like it's very fancy or involved. It's actually really simple. I took a course in L.A. um, for about four days, and uh, it's a really simple process. I basically just sit down for 20 minutes and sort of clear my mind and relax, and uh, I don't feel remarkably different, but it, it actually helps for auditions i used to and i still get nervous on auditions and it was getting to the point where i really wanted to take steps to try to deal with my uh, my anxiety before auditions and it's helped with that i feel more uh kind of calm and, and clear-minded when i go into into the room
0: all right there's a couple ways i want to go from there so wait a minute so you're still getting nervous before auditions that doesn't go away yeah, over time that was yeah <laughs> oh yeah
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean Less nervous than when I, you know, when I first started going in for, for auditions, but absolutely, I still get sweaty palms, and, and I think this is something that a surprising number of actors always deal with. It never goes away. Um, and I've talked to older actors, who say, yeah, it, it, goes, it becomes less intense over time, but before they step on stage or go in on audition, they're still generous, yeah. Well, well walk us through your first audition. How did your first audition go by? How did my first audition go? Yeah, let's see. My first audition. Okay, so my first TV audition ever, which I remember pretty clearly because it went badly. <laughs> uh, I had a, yeah, I had an audition maybe how was it five years ago for the remake of Nine Hundred Two One L, and it was my first my first big audition. And what role? But, uh, I can't even remember now. I didn't. I didn't even come close to getting it. The <laughs> But I remember the night before, I was like, okay, this is my ticket. I mean, if I get this, I could be a star. This will launch my career. And so I had all, I was thinking about the fame and the success. And, you know, it's not a 2-1-0. The material wasn't brilliant. But uh, when I walked into the room, I was so nervous because I had all these expectations of what might come mm. that I could barely get the words out. Um, and the person, you know, the, the casting director, at, it was ABC, I think kind of they had me stop and do it again and they just said just talk like a normal human being. Um, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't even I couldn't even really do that. So when I left that, you know, when I left that audition, I was out on the street and I'm like, "Oh god, it's never going to happen for me. I'm terrible." <laughs> it, was bad, it was a bad day. Um but it's gotten better since then.
0: That's awesome. So wait a minute, at that point you'd been doing a lot of acting in plays uh, up to then right before that tv audition
1: yeah yeah
0: so was there a big difference for you the fact that it was television versus
1: theater yeah it's uh you know it's different when you go to a job so obviously you do theater in a big room you project your voice it's loud people i don't want to say overact but it's bigger and then you go in the TV, and in the audition, it's the same way. It'll be a small room, you know. Most of the audition rooms are the size of, a, a like, a large bathroom. Uh, so even when you step inside, you go, wow, it's so small, and everyone talks so quietly. And I wasn't prepared for how intimate it, it is. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that threw me for a loop, for sure.
0: And with the meditation, uh, what are the biggest differences you've seen when going into those auditions now than, say, that first one? Obviously, just the reps help, but have you seen the meditation help in a tangible way?
1: I have, you know, so um, now when I go in, and again, it got better even before the meditation. I wasn't as nervous, but uh, it's just helped me kind of uh, be more okay with being nervous. I wouldn't say I don't get nervous anymore, because I definitely still do, but I don't panic uh when i get nervous which is kind of what used to happen sometimes mm. Mm.
0: so for those lay people like myself i mean i've uh i've been thinking about getting into meditation it's one of my 2016 new year's resolutions here uh i'm looking at this app headspace which says all i need is 10 minutes to meditate how was that for you getting into it was it a little bit of the uh stigma going along with it or did you just dive head first
1: yeah you know uh i'm I have a hippy-dippy kind of street where I'm open to some of that sort of stuff. So some of the stigma attached to it wasn't really a stigma for me. Um, I, I was—I figured I'd go for it all out. I had done yoga for about a year, year and a half here and there, and I liked the sort of mental benefits from that and the clarity. And, um, so I, I jumped right in. That's awesome.
0: That's awesome. And you've been sticking with it now for six months.
1: Yeah, and, you know, there are all these other health benefits that supposedly later in life, you know, reduce risk of X, Y, Z conditions. So hopefully I stick with it. That's awesome. So before, we get off, before we get off the audition, I want to know if you have any secrets out there for anyone that's going into an audition for the first time. What would you recommend to them? Let's see. Anyone going into an audition for the first time. Um, be yourself. Just be. don't. Don't be what you think you're
0: supposed to be. Just be yourself. Okay. So that being said, um, you obviously mentioned your first TV audition. What was what was the first thing you remember being in? I don't care. I mean, back to your childhood. What what birthed the Brian Wiles that we now see on television and on stage?
1: What what? How did I want to become an actor? Sorry, yeah. I couldn't. Um, you know, this is strange. There was a uh i had I had always liked obviously movies and and uh plays and t v when I was a kid but um, i wasn't really I had never thought about becoming an actor and then one day when I was about i't want to say maybe ten years old uh I was in the back of my parents' car and we were in California on some kind of vacation, and we were just driving down the road It was an ordinary night. And I looked out the window. This sounds like I'm making this up for today, to be real. But I, I'm telling you, I looked out the window, and I saw the moon, and there was a Mariah Carey song playing on the radio. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and I'm telling you, in this moment, I just, I thought, I want to be an actor. And that was really it. What was the song? Okay, so I can't remember what song it was.
0: But you don't remember the title, uh, but you remember the lyrics.
1: I don't. Come I don't on, Brian. Sing it. Sing it. I Listen, I've tried to figure out what the song was based on the time. I think it must have been Honey or Always Be My Baby. Look, neither of those songs interesting. you guys want me to sing it, I'll sing a little bit.
0: I know you will. That's why they're trying to pull it
1: out, you. What is it like? We were as one, day Woo! for a moment in <laughs> <laughs> and was in the i no, no. i <laughs> <night, night, night. laughs> um, Just for the record, just for the record, guys, that is my favorite Mariah song ugh. by far. <laughs> I always envisioned her. Wasn't isn't that the one where she was gonna sway over the pond or something? Yeah, yeah. And the video. <laughs> That's one. Yes. That is the one. That oh was my, my favorite Oh, my goodness. Song. I'm going Good to have job. to go with the uh,
0: All I Want for Christmas is You for my favorite Mariah song, but I'm not afraid to admit it. Or Always Be <laughs> My a, Baby. Around the
1: Holidays, that's a great song.
0: <laughs> of course. Of course. You know, the problem is Pandora can never live up to it when I set that as my Pandora station around the holidays. It's very difficult oh, yeah. to find other songs in that class that just aren't, don't come across as cheesy, you know? Vale. Yeah, so I've been listening to a lot of Mariah lately around the holidays. <laughs> All right, let's get back on track here. The tangents <laughs> are the most fun part of doing the podcast, though. So, uh, you know, your last role here as uh, Jimmy Shea on, on on Public Morals. I mean, what was that experience like? Getting to work with, I mean, an unbelievable cast, and uh, you know, having Ed Burns there, a, a true New York icon, yeah. leading up that project.
1: Oh, it was. It was. I mean, it was kind of a dream come true in a lot of ways. Uh, Everyone on that show was so professional and also so friendly and nice. Um, It was fantastic. Everyone was so nice. And Ed is uh, he's a workaholic in the best possible way. You know, he's always super friendly. He's a great leader, Um, and he's he's fun and he works his, his butt off. So it was great, and I met a lot of. Very talented actors, Um, so it was really cool.
0: When you say that Ed was a workaholic, uh, I mean, what does that mean when it comes to uh, the day-to-day basis and your interactions with him?
1: So this is the only show I've ever worked on where it was written and directed and starred one guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, to wear all those hats, usually that's a full-time job for three different people. So he would show up, you know, he started working on the show 10 years ago. Uh, He had written scripts that eventually became part of the series. And then, so before shooting, he's obviously writing, full days of writing, 12 hours a day. And then by the time we got to shooting, he would be the first one there uh, and the last one to leave every day because, he, you know, he was the director of every episode. So... That kind of work. I think then on the weekends he'd be out, you know, looking at locations and costumes and considering casting. Uh, so he sort of he lived and breathed the show, and I think that's. I don't know a whole lot of other projects where that's happened. Um, so, that's that's what I would mean by workaholic. Anything about that that wore
0: off on you that you've tried to emulate or just work into to your own practice from seeing him.
1: I think the biggest takeaway for me was to see how much he was working, how much he was doing, and yet he still took the time to reach out to everyone in the cast, extras, people who wanted to meet him. He always had the time to be friendly to people who wanted to Hmm. just say hello to him. And I think personally, that's just a good way to live. And professionally, it's a really good way to keep up morale on a set and to make sure that everyone wants the project to succeed.
0: Awesome. Now, I thought Public Morals was pretty interesting because of how it was released. They're kind of experimenting. I mean, we see the over-the-top networks, the on-demand, the Netflix things, and everybody's binge-watching. Now, you guys had a kind of an interesting release in the sense that the first four episodes came out. Is that right? When the show was released? Yeah,
1: so the uh, the first four episodes came out right out of the gate, yeah
0: and then there was a little break. They had a, a short time, I believe, where the entire season was up, and then they took it down, and you kind of had to watch through.
1: Yeah, so over Labor Day weekend, they put all 10 up, yes.
0: Yeah. Just just your thoughts on that uh, release model, and did you get any feedback from you know fans who were saying, oh, I'm so glad they released the whole thing, or how'd that play out for you? What feedback did you get on
1: that? Uh, you know, I, my personal opinions on it are that it's risky because, you get the opportunity to build in a binge-watching fan base, which obviously nowadays is what people do, especially younger viewers. A lot of people who I've talked to who are my age in their late 20s don't even have cable because they watch everything on Netflix. And the networks, are cable and um, non-cable alike, are desperate to get those viewers. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to bring them in. Um, The downside is I think if you release all 10 episodes in advance, well, then people aren't going to watch week by week, and you kind of have to anticipate the ratings could just slip because the people who are really into it have already seen it. Um, And I think it's something that's especially risky if you're not 100% confident uh, that people will rave about the show. And I think by and large people did, but it didn't get the kind of viral traction that... I think it needed to really make that worthwhile. So that's my opinion, I, I don't study this. I wonder what their strategy was by doing that. What do you think their strategy was? I think it was an attempt to build a lot of word of mouth, uh, mm. social media and things like that. And again, I I don't think it paid off.
0: Interesting. Now, social media, you bring that up. You were doing a, a lot of stuff with that when it came to the live tweeting throughout the episodes um, and some of the campaigns that you were doing. I loved watching what you were putting up before it was you know on whatever the the show night was you would have your watch on it's almost time for public morals we'll put some of these up on on the website so people can see the pictures that we're talking about but what was that like for you i mean especially considering when you got into the acting game were you aware that social media was going to be such a huge part of your job on a day-to-day basis and how much of that is required and how much of that is just you being brian uh you know it's funny
1: when i first started acting and as social media was coming out this is maybe again five years ago social media is just becoming starting to become a major part of the industry i sort of thought oh i won't be that kind of actor i'll i'll be a a theater actor i was a bit of an elitist you know, kind of, <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not gonna you know pour myself out with social media and then you know a few years later i'm going oh hey you walk in the social streets <laughs> and get jobs, so, you know, my principles are stupid. So to do this, um, and then, you know, so you, I started again and thank you for, I'm glad you like the, the, uh, the little things that I made. I started, all right, how can I, how can I do things that feel like they're authentic to me and serve the project and my career? And I think that's but you know, for for many actors, that's
0: just part of the business nowadays. Brian, and, uh, I, I, ga- I got to tell you, the the one of you running through New York City with the flag to watch <laughs> public morals, I could not stop laughing at. I showed it to everybody <laughs> I know. I mean, it was absolutely hysterical. Again, we'll put the link to that up uh, on the Bib Media website so you guys can check it out after the podcast. But Brian is basically running through all of New York uh, with his shirt off, with the sign that says "Watch Public Morals." He's in Central Park. He's in Times Square. I I could not stop laughing at it. It was from from the elitist that you were talking about when you got into the business to that uh, self-promotion. Oh, my God, you were even wearing a sandwich board and one of them asking people to watch. (laughs) (laughs) So to go from one extreme to the other, but to be honest with you, I mean, I love it. I I know you already, and so I know that you like to do some fun stuff like that. But, God, the response that I saw it getting along the way was – was really, I think, genuine, and, and I think people like that as much as uh, as much as the show, seeing what you were going to do to promote the show, in some cases.
1: Oh, uh, well, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I got a great response from the fans, and actually from GNT, the network as well. A lot of the, uh, the higher-ups there really liked, they reached out to me and said, we really like what you're doing, please do more of it. And so you start thinking, okay, maybe this is a good idea.
0: Yeah, they gave the kid the keys to the car on that one, then, I got to say. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> so, all right,
0: let's talk about a little bit as as the social media applies to the turn, because you mentioned ratings a little bit earlier and how those play off, and ratings are kind of tricky right now because you have so many different outlets to consume media these days. Uh, the turn, I thought, was kind of interesting because you and I were talking, there's a, a strong, adamant fan base on social media that, that I guess, yearns for that show, how do you interact with that one, and, and is it different from Public Morals, a show that's getting off the
1: ground? Uh, it is different, and I think Turn fills a niche that exists nowhere else on television. As far as I know, there aren't any other shows of that era uh, that takes place during the American Revolutionary War, and so you have a kind of built-in fan base of American history buffs who, like that period, who are passionate about this and don't have a lot of other outlets um, and I came in late in the second season, so that show did already have a dedicated fan base. And it has a very friendly and outgoing fan base on social media, and they sort of welcome me with open arms, and they love the character. I played Lafayette on turn And I think the uh, the audience had been clamoring for him to be a character on the show because he's such a major historical presence. Mm. And they, they were just so happy that uh, he became a, a part of their their world
0: now with turn was was it actually canceled at some point did that come back because of the call for it on social media
1: it was never canceled uh okay. it was actually at on the bubble uh at the end of its first season and then the, the season finale really had a huge uptick in the ratings so it was renewed for a second season based off of that set. uh now why it had a huge um swing at the end of the season. Uh, upwards, I couldn't tell you, but I'd imagine that social media had something to do with it, yeah. Hmm. Brian, what's your favorite role to play? Uh, what's my favorite role to play, like, that i play played so far or just things in general? That you play played so far, and maybe something that you're looking for, a role that you're looking for to come down the wire for yourself. Let's see. Um, I like um, there's been a lot of good ones. I mean, my character on Public Morals was a lot of fun. Uh, Lafayette is great. Some of the smaller parts or parts I've had in smaller productions in school were fantastic when I didn't play. Um, do you feel that you really stand out playing a certain role, be it a detective, you know, or, so you play a lot of police roles? I do. Uh, I think my niche has become... Uh, the young rookie something or other who turns out to be somewhat bad in one sense or another. And I enjoy that. I think, you know, it's always more fun to play characters who are tinged with a little bit of darkness.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: and I think in terms of roles down the pipe, I mean a lot of actors will say this, but one day I'd love to play Hamlet. that's that's and that character's obviously tinged with darkness. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Is that just getting to play out those those internal things that, you know, come out on Halloween and, and only Halloween?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, something like that. Something like
0: that. Yeah. So you mentioned school and some of the roles that you played in there. I mean, was there one piece of advice that you got along the way that just has come out time and time again that that you use on a regular basis and, or maybe the opposite. Was there one piece of advice that you heard or critique that you got that you were like, this is absolutely ridiculous.
1: I <laughs> don't uh, see one piece of advice. One piece, of, I've got a lot of good pieces of advice. I would say one is, and again, this might make more sense to actors, but a lot of actors, and this is something I have to constantly remind myself, you know, you want to do a lot. You want to, When you go on set or you go on stage or in rehearsal, you want to make something happen and really try to force it to work or to be big or to be emotional, and that's never going to serve. Uh, You have to let it, it has to kind of happen on its own. It's this strange communal thing that happens. When it happens organically, it's always more satisfying to participate in and to watch, so a lot of actors use the phrase, let it go, let kind of, let it all go, let your <laughs> conceptions go. And uh, again, it sounds cliche, but it's good advice, I think. Um, and then in terms of bad advice, I would say bad advice are a lot of things that go against that. People who say you need to do uh, always act smaller in front of the camera. Well, there's no... By you know, if you're if it's honest, then it's honest. You can be as big as it needs to be. Uh, people who say, you know, you always need to have uh, proper neutral diction. Well, that's not true. There are plenty of great actors who don't have that. Sometimes it's more interesting. So, I would say letting letting preconceived notions or techniques that go when like you can um, mm-hmm. is good advice. Who
0: were that's some of God. the Who were some of the actors that inspired you or that you look up to and try and emulate exactly. or learn from?
1: Yeah. I I kind of think actors are either, they're great, they're either very, they're good or they're not good. I, it's hard for me to say who's better. I love a lot of them. Mark Ruffalo and the Washington, Meryl Streep, uh, Violet Davis, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. I mean, the people who other people say are great actors, I tend to agree by large. And, and then even actors who you think are not great, you'll see them in something go, wow, they're great, Matt. Uh, <laughs> everybody, everybody has their kind of their moments. Right, right. So. Yeah, I, I look up to a lot of people. That's awesome. Uh, how, how much how much of it
0: is that is the actor being cast in the right role? At least in your experience, how much of, of really getting to act is is a part of? Well, maybe this part was written for this person as well.
1: Well, from uh, the perspective of someone who's trying to get jobs and uh, who's not a household name, which I'm certainly not, it's it's huge for me. If if I'm if I don't look for right for the part, there's no way I'll get it. Mm. Um, so it's a huge part of the industry that when you walk into a room, whatever kind of energy you give off or look you have, that's largely what the casting de- department will consider you as, no matter what you do with the material. And then in terms of uh, how does it affect uh, the role or the project, um, again, it's huge. Um, you think about iconic roles and How many iconic roles have been played by people, by actors uh, who got that part because someone else turned it down? Mm. Um, And they become, in our minds, inseparable from that role. Uh, Specifics are escaping me right now, but you you think about Heath Ledger as the Joker. Originally, there were a number of people who were up for that part, and Heath Ledger was not a lock at first, but now to think of him not playing that part is unimaginable.
0: Right now you think the Joker, you think of the way he played it.
1: Exactly. So the actor becomes inseparable from the character if it's a really well-done. That's
0: great. So how do you deal with that critique then? Because you mentioned earlier, you know, the nerves of going into those auditions that still do exist, although on a lesser level. And you mentioned the fact of, well, if I don't look right for this part, then I'm probably not going to get this part. How do you deal with that? I mean, because the rejection is part of being an actor when you go in for these roles. Does it get easier over time?
1: Uh, Did eat at me over time?
0: Does it get easier rejection. over time? The rejection, dealing with oh,
1: it? the rejection over time. I mean, it's part of the business. Uh, there's no way around it. No matter how successful you are, it will always be a. You'll always get turned down for more parts than you get offered. Um, well, I don't know if you're a superstar, maybe you just get offers nonstop. But that's uh, a problem.
0: That's a problem. We'll we'll deal with when we come to it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you call me in ten years, and maybe maybe I'll be there. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's part of the business. Uh, there's there's no way around it, and I think you have to try to tell yourself that it's not personal. On some level, it can be very hard to convince yourself of that if you're putting your heart into the work. But you just again, you have to remember that ultimately these people are running a, a business in large effect, and uh, if you don't look right, if someone else looks more correct for the part or whatever, it's there's nothing you can do. It's out of your control. Mm-hmm. Brian, what's your goal? Where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? I'd like to be able to just keep working, uh, to make enough money to, in 10 years, buy a house, uh, to be able to support a family, um, and actually to to be an actor and to be able to do those things, which are pretty standard, straightforward components of the American dream. You actually have to be pretty successful. Um, so... You know, I was working on set uh, for, with Public Morals with Ruben Santiago Hudson, who's won a Tony Award. He's an actor who most people would recognize his face but not know his name. And he was talking about how he was really glad uh, he got Public Morals because he would really help them pay for his daughter's college education. Mm. And But he's, you know, a major actor. Um, so this was a reminder to me of, uh, the vast majority of actors don't make that much money, and I, right. those those who make enough to, to make a living out of it are extremely extremely lucky. So I I hope to fall into that camp. That's awesome. Is it hard to make a living? Start. I would imagine it's hard to make a living starting off. How long do you think it takes the average actor to actually make a decent living? And mm-hmm. and you know how long how long do you see yourself or see it? Taking you, if you're not there already. Um, it depends. It's a very, it's very much a feast or famine kind of industry. So uh, when public morals was on, I, that was a great year for me. But now right. that, it's, that it's gone, um, you know, up this year I could be nothing. So it's it's really hard to tell the future, and that's one of the reasons that uh, people say don't be an actor. That you know, there's no job security. Uh, I think. You know, if I'm still in the business in 10 or 15 years, I'll probably have found a way to make it more consistent. People sort of, uh, by and large, the, the industry sheds people over time because, you know, the, the fact that there's no security turns people off and they decide to do other things. Um, so I think if, they, if I'm still acting when I'm 40 or 50, I'll probably found some way to make it consistent yeah. or more consistent. That's nice. Right.
0: So... That being said, I mean, what, what advice do you give somebody breaking into the business right now in terms of expectations, in terms of work ethic uh, to, to make, I guess, a career?
1: I would say uh, no, first and foremost, why you want to do it. Mm-hmm. If it's purely to be famous, um, I think you'll have trouble. Uh, because I, on some level, I think every actor wants to be loved. People, you know, they want the applause at the end of the show. I think on some level, most actors feel that. But if you just want to be a, someone who walks red carpets and is in magazines, it'll be really hard to make a career off of that, because there are other people who want to really do the work and want to be uh, great at the process, not just have fun you know, with the product. So I would say work hard, know what your strengths are, find people who can, acting coaches, schools that um, that are good and that you can trust in their critiques of you. Because I had some bad acting training early on and it can really mess with your head because you start to think things about yourself which may not be true. Um, and it can start to feel like a cult sometimes because these people will promote themselves as the solution to your problems when, in fact, they may just be creating more problems. So find people you can trust in and then um, work, invest in yourself. Take classes, work as hard as you can, um, know that the more time you, you invest in what you do, the better you'll be at it later on.
0: So in your experience, what's the difference between a good acting coach then and a bad acting coach? Is there something that you can look for?
1: Uh, yes, it's where they can recognize people being honest and it's a relatively simple thing, um, but can be difficult to, to coach someone to learn how to do it. In some ways, a coach and an acting teacher can only do so much. They can only kind of give you, uh, oblique pointers, um, Finding truth is just—I uh, don't know—it's tricky. People, poets spend their whole lives trying to do it right. right. So, uh, someone who can who can help you discover truth and uh, freedom while you're acting would be a good acting coach. But i i don't know if I'd be qualified to do it. I mean, it's—it's it's a skill like it's a talent like anything else,
0: right? Well, that's that's probably extremely difficult given the sense that you're working with actors and people in the entertainment industry as well, identifying that truth. Heck, it's, yeah. hard, it's hard enough when you're a reporter and trying to track that down.
1: Right. I mean, you know, it's You uh, try. Right. Sometimes you get there, sometimes you don't. You, just, you make an effort.
0: So let me ask you this, uh, in terms of your career and, and all of the different uh, sources that are out there to distribute media and entertainment right now. Um, I mean, do you, when you go out for jobs, right, do you look at things that are, um, strictly online? Do you look at alternative form? Well, what I guess are non-traditional, we'll call them forms of media and distribution.
1: Um, my agents will do most of that stuff for me, but yeah, I'm absolutely open to doing, uh, and I've gone out for stuff on Hulu and Netflix and, um, uh, things like that, uh, I, and then with, you know, my own personal side project, absolutely, I'm, I I love acting, so anytime people give me something to do that's either with people I want to work with or it's a script that I think is great, I mean, I'll do it for free, I don't care, um, so absolutely.
0: How much of that, how much of your time do you spend doing that stuff just to, one, I guess, keep honing your own craft, and two, to pursue your own passion?
1: Not as much as I'd like, I mean, to be honest, uh... Let's see. In the last year, I've probably done two little indie movie projects, uh, just as sort of side things for friends, and then uh, a little web series, again similar thing. Um, but I'd love to do more. But again, that's even if productions are not really paying actors, it's expensive to make uh, even an indie movie—you know, 30000 dollars. So we've tough to get the capital.
0: Yeah. Where, what's the biggest difference uh, for you individually when it comes to working on one of those uh, small indie things versus working on something larger, be it theater or television?
1: Uh, it depends. Sometimes it's organization. Uh, sometimes a smaller indie project will have people who are a little more new to the business or haven't done as much, and so they're a bit more scattered, um, You know, which is understandable. And so sometimes it's bad, and sometimes on the bigger projects you have the same problems, actually. It's a, <laughs> or uh, on a larger scale. Right. Uh, I, so there's a whole range. It, it's it can be great or terrible in either setting.
0: You know, I, I found that no matter how large or small the newsroom is, the problem that exists, whether it's Market One or Market 100, they all are the underlying same problems in the newsrooms. There's communication issues. There's, you know, the same thing. So oh, yeah. I was just curious if that applied to the movie, uh, to, you know, um, television shows or movies or productions as well.
1: I think uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. Um, so um, Brian,
1: go ahead. Go ahead I, I heard you mention um, an agent. How important is it to have an agent early in your career or is it important? Uh, it, it, it is important. Um, Without an agent, it's tougher to, to go out for some of the larger for TV projects or for movie projects because the casting departments will really only submit through agencies. Okay. Uh, that said, you know, if, to, if younger actors are listening to this, uh, it, it's not a be-all and end-all. You can still get work without an agent. You can go on backstage or Actors Access or reach out to people on your own. And at some point in, the, in, the, in their careers, every actor doesn't have an agent. No one's kind of born with an agent. So there's ways to get them. Um, yeah, and then also once you have them won, it's not like it's a golden ticket. Uh, they can still set you up with auditions, but ultimately it's on you to do the work.
0: How, how hard is that? I mean, knowing that you're kind of in the hands of someone else, and is there anything that you can do or that you do now uh, to, I guess, work for yourself while you have an agent promoting you as well. You mentioned those side projects. I guess that would probably fall under that as well,
1: right? Yeah, you know, you call up your agent and yell at them. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people do. You, you say, you go, why am I not going out for this? Well, I pay you, I want to go out for it. No, but I mean, I'm joking, but on some level, that's true. I mean, uh, you got to you got to really make sure that they're working for you because they have a lot of clients and so you got to make sure they're looking after you. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, I guess that's,
0: yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, so where do you see this going, um, in the next say five, 10 years broadcasting and acting and, and production in general?
1: Oh, What do I see? So kind of the industry that... Uh, like as as I...
0: it pertains to you, anything that you think, any trends that you think uh, you've seen that maybe will become more common, anything where, hey, I, I know I'm going to be going out for you know, auditioning differently, or do you think that you're going to be you know, more on, w- with a uh, traditional television as we know it, going to go away, and are we all going to move to Netflix, in, in your opinion, and based on what your experience is?
1: I, I think uh, I think the digital uh, distribution trends, Netflix, Hulu, that's only going to continue. Places, you know, BuzzFeed now starting to have scripted series, Yahoo, I think that will only continue. Uh, I think the, you know, the big network, CBS, NBC, ABC, um, their clout will start to decline, will continue to decline um, as younger viewers stop watching the networks as much and there are more options for other people to watch um, and they'll have to find other ways to stay relevant or not relevant but um, powerful which I think they're already doing NBC is is buying uh, some BuzzFeed stuff but NBC has like a digital channel now they're trying to find ways to sort of you know diversify their distribution Um, in terms of mm, how that applies to me I mean nowadays uh, you know, actors in New York audition for stuff in L.A. and vice versa and around the world because everything is taped now. You go in the audition room, and they always have a camera there. So, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you had to be, you had to physically be in the room. Um, and now, even if you're going to leave the, you know, the third and fourth round of an audition, your screen test will be in the room. But it's much easier to, uh, to audition for stuff. From anywhere now, so I think the business will continue to be less centralized in Los Angeles. Uh, New York will have more and more opportunities. It's already New York's already got quite a few. Um, And yeah, I would say those are the trends I see. All
0: right. Um, What is? uh, I'm sorry. Here, what if you could if you could have any role? I mean, is there one that you've seen somebody or one role that exists, a book that you've read that you would like to play?
1: Uh, So, I, again, I would say Hamlet, uh, and it's somewhat cliche, but I think Hamlet. Uh, besides that, let's see, I'd love to be in hey, Star Wars, sure. <laughs> you,
0: you were just out in, in L.A. for the premiere,
1: right? I was. I was out there for the premiere. It was a lot of fun, yeah.
0: How was that?
1: Oh, it was uh, it was awesome. I went out. So Lupita Nyong'o, who plays I want to get the name right. I think it's Maz Kanata in the movie. Uh, she had a small guest list of a few friends, about eight or yeah, eight friends or so. Um, and we all got to watch the movie as part of her uh, her entourage. It was great. beforehand, J. J. Abrams came out, gave a speech. George Lucas was there. The entire cast came out. They rolled out the, the two droids from the movie, who are actually remote controlled and can move around. Oh, awesome! Uh, yeah, that was pretty cool.
0: Now, have you always been uh, into was Star good, Wars?
1: Good, good, kind of fun. Have
0: you always been into Star Wars?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not a diehard fan, uh, but I'm a fan of sci-fi in general, and I've always liked Star Wars. Um, I think Han Solo is a great character, and uh, that's a character I'd love to play. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> I'd say he did a, uh, Harrison Ford did a pretty great job. Again, you want to talk about actors being associated with the role pretty iconically, I'd say Harrison Ford, Han Solo is up there. Um, but yeah.
0: I'm going to go deep here. You said before that you would the advice you would give to anybody is know why you want to be an actor right now. So why do you want to do it? What is it that drives you?
1: It's changed over time. Uh, I think at first, when I was looking out that window in the car, I was looking where I carry. I think it was that I just wanted—I wanted people to say, "Great job, and uh, we love you, and you're you're great." And I had gotten a little bit—I had done little things in school, and so people had told me I was good, and I wanted to be validated, told I was good. And then I got a little older, and I went to graduate school, and I thought, "Okay, I want to be an artist. I want to." Uh, I want to, represent, to to make change in the world, to discover truth, to, uh, to be um, a true artist. Uh, and then I graduated from school, and, and now it's somewhere, um, it's, uh, somewhere slightly different. So I, I still want to be an artist, but I also want to have a career, and I want to be able to support a family. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a little more practical now. Than it was in school. And still that element of wanting to be loved, I think that will always be there. Uh but I try not to indulge it too much. But now I'd say, yeah, it's a combination of those things. To be an artist, to make a living, to be loved.
0: Well, no no, you got plenty of love here on this end, so uh, that's well, thank for you, for you, you guys. Um uh, all right. So what is there anything right now that you're watching that you really admire uh that you're reading or whatever the case may be? What what's what's interesting to you right now?
1: Um, Let's see. So I don't actually, ironically, I don't watch that much television. Uh, commercials drive me insane. <laughs> so I, uh, I binge watch. Like you know, I'm a young viewer, so binge watch. I'm, I'm actually in the third season of The Wire right now, which I had never watched before. Oh. It's out of here! Good, <laughs> it's out of here! I mean, this is all. This is all. Um, at least you're watching, because some people just go without watching it at all. I'm like, oh, you're
0: crazy. All, exactly. all I'm gonna say, I believe it's season four, Stringer Bell. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> leave
1: it at that. Leave it at that.
0: That's it. Okay.
1: <laughs> I've, I've heard. I've heard season four is like our, per, potentially the greatest uh, series uh, season in history. I-, I would agree with that. <laughs> it's so, definitely um, up there. You you be the judge. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So you know I, I love that, uh, but I'm a little behind the trends there. Um, I've been reading again. This might not appeal to a lot of people, but I've been reading a lot of Shakespeare criticism recently because I really enjoy Shakespeare. So I read a I read a book called The Meaning of Shakespeare by Harold Goddard, and now I'm reading another one called uh, Shakespeare: The Invention of the Human by Harold Bloom, um, which is it's always fascinating to me because there's so much to to parse in those texts and to take away from it and Mind greater than mine, kind of reveal things to me, and I go, "Oh my gosh! Wow, wow!" Um,
0: tell me, tell me the and, name of that second one again. It was uh, Shakespeare, the mem- the creation of the human. Is that right?
1: The invention of the human. The yeah. The human. Okay.
0: I'm just taking notes here, so I can uh, write some of these down.
1: I, uh, you know, if you know what, if you're if you're looking for Shakespeare characters, I think the other book is better. The meaning of Shakespeare. It's okay. older. It's from the it's from the '60s, but I think it's better. All right, definitely. I never got into it, man. I never got into it. Oh. It's not for everybody. No, it's
0: not. But every story, every story that you see basically can be traced back to Shakespeare. He's written some version of that story, and they all just evolve from there in different ways. That's that's the uh, amazing
1: part oh, of him. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Although, uh, actually, almost all but two of his stories were taken from other stories well. So it goes back even further than that. Oh, see, I got to read these. Um,
0: so, all right. If people want to reach out to you on social media these days or things like that, how can they do that?
1: Uh, my Instagram is Brian, B-R-I-A-N. N There's a second N. And then Wild W-I-L-E-S. So it's all one word, Brian N. Wild. My Twitter is the same. And my Facebook uh, fan page is Brian Wild. Awesome, man. So cool enough.
0: Anything you want to uh, urge any listeners to to do? Obviously, we can. We'll, we'll urge them to check out Public Morals uh, as soon as they can if they haven't already. Anything else? Uh,
1: check out Public Morals. Check out seasons two and three. I'll go down next month to shoot another episode of Turn. Uh, so yeah, look out for Lafayette on Turn. and Happy
0: holidays! Awesome, man. Brian, thank Bye. you so much. We wish you thank a you, happy twenty sixteen. And we really appreciate you giving us some time today. Thanks, man. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, everyone, again for listening. I want to remind you that you can head over to bibmedia.tv. That's B-I-B media.tv. And click on the B-I-B-W tab for broadcasting in black and white. There you'll find the notes from the show with Brian Wiles here, including some of those ridiculous social media pushes and promos that he did for public morals you can also see some examples of his acting if you're not already familiar from public morals in the turn and then check out the website while you're there as always this is broadcasting in black and white brought to you by bib media believe the hype thanks for listening